Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of September 28th through October the 4th. Uh, this week, we will be seeing both Saturn and Pluto stationing direct, a full moon at nine degrees of Aries opposite the nine degree Libra sun that is conjoining the fixed star diadem. And we'll be seeing the perfection of the Mars Saturn square that we've been dealing with for quite some time. Um, so a lot of a uh, lot of astrology to get to today. Uh, a lot of things to contextualize. The the news cycle is uh, speaking very loudly right now. I hope that you're all hanging in there and doing okay. Um, last week we had a, a malefic enclosure of Mercury that we were that we were trying to wade through as we got the um, verdict in the. Brianna Taylor um, court case with the um, police officers kind of basically being let off the hook and all the fallout from that. Um, we've been seeing uh, Congress and, and the powers that be trying to uh, push through a new Supreme Court nominee. Um, the last forecast I recorded, I recorded just very hours before the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And um, wasn't able to, to contextualize that within my astrology report, but uh, we saw a lot of the cardinal squares and oppositions kind of playing out in, in a lot of people's feelings in regards to that event. Um, yeah, lots of things going on. Uh, the president's been, you know, questioning it, whether he will uh, have a peaceful transfer of power. Um, We've got a presidential debate coming up this week on Tuesday, the 29th, right as the Mars Saturn square is perfecting. So I'll try to contextualize all that for you with the astrology and see if we can come to a place of centeredness and, and hopefully uh, an ability to handle all of the, uh, the changes that we're going through because uh, it, there's a lot going on. Um, so let's head over to the planetary condition report. I'm going to share my screen and we'll see what we're heading through this week. All right, make this full screen. Okay, so the sun this week is going to be moving through the first and second decan of Libra from five to 12 degrees of Libra, as you can see here. The sun is in its fall. Uh, it will be in the terms of Saturn from zero to six degrees and the terms of Mercury from six to 14 degrees. It is conjoining the fixed art uh, diadem, uh, which is the woman's crown or the sacrificial hair of um, Bernice III, who was wife of one of the um, Egyptian pharaohs. Uh, she sacrificed her hair so that her husband would return uh, from war safely, sacrificed to Aphrodite. So we will talk a little bit more about that with our full moon because that's, that story is going to play out a lot with our uh, full moon story. It's then going to, the sun is then going to conjoin the fixed star Vindemiatrix at 10 degrees of Libra. Uh, that is the fixed star called the Grape Gatherer um, and associated with uh, collecting things, but also with a little bit of Sorcerer's Apprentice energy where we may be trying to do too many things too soon or sort of like trying to test our power before we've mastered a skill. Uh, so we will keep an eye out on that. Uh, the sun this week is going to be making an overcoming square to Jupiter and Saturn in Capricorn. It is still opposing Mars in Aries, which is also retrograde. And it will be sextiling Venus in um, Leo 
which it has a mutual reception with right now. So Venus and the sun, before Venus switches signs into Virgo, are exchanging resources. So there's a positive communication between those two planets right now, which is sort of, they're like helping each other out. So even though we have this sun that is sort of in the bottom of the wheel of fortune, sort of it's difficult to do solar types of things, which are um, commanding authority, uh, things like gaining vitality, promoting growth through warmth and through shining the light of Gnosis. Those are things that become more difficult when the sun is in the sign of Libra because we're constantly trying to find vitality, Gnosis, and growth, not from our own point of center, but through a reflection of somebody else or something else. And this is also the time of year where in the Northern Hemisphere we see the, uh, the increase of the darkness and kind of Saturn's power takes over. Saturn has an energy that is opposite the sun. So we're seeing the, the energies of contraction rather than vitality and growth coming into play. Um, and thus we see Saturn being exalted in the sign of Libra. So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is how do we deal with some of these times of the year where we have planets moving through falls and detriments. Um, and I've been getting some really interesting information about uh, from my work with Bernadette Brady's medieval techniques classes that I've been uh, taking over the last few weeks. And, and she had some really interesting perspectives about planets in fall and in, and in detriment or exile being sort of operating outside of the establishment or the societal expectations. Um, but there's also Hellenistic astrologers that talk about it's much more difficult for the what the planet promises or represents it's much more difficult for it to bring it into fruition. So like we were saying, like uh, vitality and growth, um, gnosis, those things are more difficult to bring into being with the sun in Libra. So the one of the things I've been thinking about with this and, and how to deal with it is, how do we deal with a Libra sun? Well, let's take a look at the other rulers, not just things like Venus. We, we could do more Venusian things where we're trying to harmonize, right? Um, Instead of commanding our own authority, we have to kind of check in and bounce ideas off of other people and reflect on what not only our own reality is, but other people's reality. And how do we create balance between those two things? We can also take a look at, at the exaltation lord, Saturn, and say, what, how are we going to uh, grow or how are we going to ascend towards effectiveness? With plants and exaltation, it's kind of like a slow and steady growth towards whatever that sign represents. So with Saturn, we're kind of using our patience, we're using our ability to be um, mature. We're learning about binding contracts with one another and honoring those contracts. So this is something we're thinking about with the sun and Libra is what contracts have we committed to? What commitments do we have? What relationships? And what are the rules that we are adhering to with our, that exalted kind of Saturn energy through Libra? So I think that's one way to think about Libra season. Um, I know for many people, uh, Libra season is actually kind of difficult. At some people, it's their favorite season with the fall colors and the beauty, and they lean into the Libra part of it. For others, there's a, definitely a Saturnian kind of flavor to it. I know that's been my experience of Libra season. I, I think that more so it's probably because it's a square. It's the um, the first quarter square with my own Cancerian sun. So we're all going to experience these kind of uh, transits differently 
uh, depending on where our own placements are. So if you have like a, like a Gemini or an Aquarius sun, you might experience Libra season. Uh, you might have it, it'd be, it might be very fruitful for you or it might be very pleasant. So something to think about. Um, like I said, the host of the sun this week is Venus in Leo, but it's going to be moving into Virgo uh, on Friday the 2nd. It will start out in a sextile relationship with its host as well as a mutual reception, but then move into an aversion relationship. So it's kind of like uh, the host knows that the sun is hanging out in the temple, but then as Venus leaves that awareness, there's, it's going to be more difficult to get that sort of reflective, um, balanced, harmonious type of experience. So um, get your kind of uh, contractual obligations figured out in the beginning of the week before we hit some even more difficult astrology. All right, let's move forward to Saturn because Saturn is, is uh, doing some things this week. It's going to start out the week uh, retrograde, um, and it's going to be slowing down and reversing its course and moving direct by the end of the week. It will move direct on Tuesday, the 29th, just as it's about to square Mars exactly. So Saturn will be hanging out at 25 Capricorn or the 26th degree. Um, it is retrograde and it is very slow in its movement. Whenever a planet is about to switch direction, it almost stands still. So all of our Saturnian type of significations are kind of like frozen in motion where we're, you know, where we're trying to break down old structures or build up new ones. Those things may be grinding to a halt and we may see that, that happening as we get to this very frustrating energy that I think is going to be expressed at the presidential debate where we may just feel like we've got one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. Saturn is on its uh, own terms this week from 22 to 26 degrees, and it's hanging out in its own domicile, the nocturnal domicile of Capricorn. It will be co-present with Jupiter in Capricorn, uh, making that overcoming square that perfects on Tuesday to Mars in Aries. Uh, it will be also squaring the Sun in Libra, sextiling Mercury in Scorpio, and making a trine once Venus moves into Virgo. It is, of course, its own host when it is hanging out in its own temple. Jupiter this week is moving through the 17 to 18 degrees or 18th degree of Capricorn. It is very slow in motion still as well because it has just turned direct recently. It's a fairly slow moving planet, so it's picking up speed, but it's still moving relatively slowly. It is in its fall, just like the sun is, so it's, it's not the favorite place for Jupiter. Uh, it is in a place where it's being given the resources of death, like from Saturn, or the resources of entropy, where it wants to create growth. It's, its will is to move, uh, to, to expand. Its will is to confirm and build bridges to things, whereas, you know, we've got this kind of like, exile energy with Saturn. We've got this, uh, you know, exclusion energy with Saturn as well. So that's another way you can think about uh, Jupiter and its fall. Jupiter will be in the terms of Venus from 14 to 22 degrees this week. It'll be co-present with Saturn, its host. Uh, it will be making its own overcoming square to Mars in Aries. It will also be receiving a square from the Libra sun. It will also be sextiling Mercury in Virgo, or sorry, Mercury in Scorpio, and then making a trine to Venus in Virgo. Um, yeah, we're still going through this same thing we've been going through with Jupiter for quite some time here. 
Um, I think that if you have some prominent Jupiter placements, like say you're a Sagittarius rising or a Pisces rising, and you've been feeling a little depressed, um, that, that's another word for a planet in its fall is it, it's in its depression. Um, look towards the, the end of December here because Jupiter will be improving its condition when it moves into Aquarius at the end of December. doesn't mean it's, it's going to be in its favorite place. You may have to plan out a little bit further ahead towards the time when Jupiter will move into Pisces if you want to really see where the, uh, the gears are going to be starting to move again. But I, I do think that it will, it will be an improvement for you uh, Jupiterian type of folks when we see Jupiter move into Aquarius. That also is going to conjoin or, or coincide with a grand conjunction that we've been talking about with the uh, conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn on the 21st of December on the winter solstice, which is a really big chapter marker for us as a, as a human community. Um, again, that, that is the, the point in time where we have uh, a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which generally only happens once every 20 to 30 years, but we have a new uh, element that it will be making a conjunction in, which only happens roughly every two to 300 years. So this is a, a whole new way of thinking about society. And one of the stories that we see, and I, I saw a really great uh, picture that, that made me really think about this story. Uh, the story of Jupiter and Saturn, the story of Zeus and Kronos. And if you aren't familiar with that, Kronos uh, was uh, a, a titan that overthrew his own father. So there's this succession story with, with Kronos and, and Zeus. Uh, Uranus, right? The sky god. He, he castrated uh, Uranus and uh, his testicles fell into the sea. And from that sea foam that Aphrodite was born and there was this whole succession story. And Kronos was a little bit paranoid and fearful, which is one of the, the uh, associations with Saturn, uh, that he would be usurped. So he would start consuming his children so that he would not, he had a prophecy. There was, there was some sort of oracle that told him he would be usurped by one of his children. So he started consuming them. And uh, he consumed all of them except for Zeus. Uh, Rhea, the earth, uh, tricked Kronos by giving him a rock instead of uh, the child. And he consumed that rock and hid Zeus away to grow up into a strong, strapping young god. And uh, eventually Zeus was able to purge all of his siblings from Kronos uh, and then be able to take over his seat of power. And what I saw over the course of the week was this picture. I don't know if I have it available here to share, but it was a picture of Mitch McConnell uh, as, um, I believe it was uh, Goya. I don't know if that's the, uh, the artist, um, but there is a famous painting with Kronos consuming uh, his children. And it was a picture of uh, Mitch McConnell as Kronos consuming the Statue of Liberty. I thought that was, that was just a perfect image. And, and it actually, that image actually gave me hope for the transition of power because we could see like, you know, that what we've got going on in our government is with the old guard represented by someone like McConnell, uh, really trying to, to, to keep his power and not become uh, usurped um, by consuming the, the, his children, which are the American citizens. And um, 
that was a really powerful image to me because I think that what we're going to see with the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is some kind of uh, Zeus-like force, some sort of liberating force um, being able to see a transition to some kind of new era. That's my hope, at least. Um, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think that in that story, from what I have observed from learning about this story from people like Demetra George, there was like a, a battle for, for 10 years, like a, dec a decade of battle. So we may be in for uh, a transition of power that takes some time. It's not going to be an overnight uh, transition. So, but gear up, because I think that that trans transition is happening. And like I said, the, the collective seemed to be speaking to me on that level. Um, and and uh, I took that as a hopeful sign. I mean, it was a warning, but also uh, a, a symbol that said that, you know what, the, the myth is going to play out. And, uh, you know, we just have to kind of um, be participants, but also be patient. Patient participants. You know, I think it's both. I don't think we can be complacent and not do anything, but, but realize that we're part of a bigger story that is, is playing out that is very archetypal. Okay. So that's my long-winded thing about uh, Saturn and Jupiter. Mars this week is, of course, still moving retrograde in the sign of Aries. It'll be moving backwards from 25 to 23 degrees of Aries. And planets generally are, are fairly slow moving when they are retrograde. Um, it will be in its own domicile and its own terms. Uh, it will start off in the terms of Saturn from 25 to 30 degrees and then move back into its own terms from 20 to 25 degrees. It will be, of course, receiving the overcoming square from Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn, making an opposition by whole sign to the sun in uh, Libra. And it will also be making a trine to Venus in Leo, which will perfect on Monday. So we're going to see an exact perfection of Venus and Mars at 25 degrees of Leo and Aries on Monday the 28th. So we'll break that down in depth. Um, it, it is its own host, so it is, it, it is drawing upon its own resources. Venus this week will be moving from 24 to 30 degrees of Leo. It's moving fast, so Venus is moving very fast right now. It will conjoin the fixed star Alphard at 27 degrees of Leo, which is part of the constellation Hydra, which talks about desire nature and uh, its battle with Hercules, where we're trying to tame desire, where one desire pops up. Uh, like the head of the hydra after one has been cut off. So it's a, it's a real battle to, to um, take care of some of the, the I don't know, the, more, the, the poisons that, that crop up in our life, the difficulties that we face as human beings as we try to, I guess, purify ourselves towards a more humane way of dealing with one another. So that may be what we see with some of that symbolism coming up. On Friday, the second, it, the Venus will move into Virgo. In Leo, though, it is peregrine and will be in the terms of Mars from 24 to 30 degrees. It will be making that trine to Mars in Aries, uh, making a square to a uh, Scorpio-Mercury. And then, of course, it has that sextile mutual reception relationship with the Sun in Libra. Its host is the Sun in Libra, which it will be sextile to before it moves into Virgo. Once, the, uh, once we see Venus move into Virgo, uh, there, there are some changes that happen. It's uh, a little bit of a shift. It's, it's a difficult shift. Um, we're going to see Venus shifting 
into the first decan of Virgo on the second, it will immediately conjoin the fixed star Regulus. And Regulus, of course, has processed back into the uh, tropical sign of Virgo. It is, of course, the, the heart of the lion of the Leo constellation. So there is Leo symbolism associated with Regulus. Um, but, but it's going to take on a little bit of a different flavor now that it is happening in the sign of Virgo. And of course, the nemesis we're trying to avoid with Regulus placements is a, an ambitious pursuit of power at all cost and not abusing that ambition and that power and taking revenge on our enemies. So we will break that down in our dailies with more depth. But one of the things we're seeing with Virgo uh, Venus is that it is moving into its fall. So Venus has its exaltation in the sign of Pisces, but it is, of course, at its most depressed in the sign of Virgo. It does have some triplicity rulership by the daytime. And as I'm learning in Brady's course, she's talking a lot about triplicity dignity and talks about it as like uh, being amongst uh, your guild or your community and having communal support. Like in the medieval times, they used to have organizations that you were a part of, like a, an artist guild or a stonemason's guild. So think about Venus having the support of uh, it, its friends, okay? But it's not in the best position. It's, it's, it's down and out, but it's down and out with uh, a ragtag group of uh, rascals <laughs> that are trying to help to, to uh, commiserate with it, I would say, on some level. Um, Venus will be in the terms of Mercury from the first seven degrees of Virgo. It will be trining Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn and making a sextile to its host, um, Mercury in Scorpio. So that's what we've got going on with Venus. We will break down that as we go into our dailies as well. Um, but, you know, this, this is a Venus where we may be starting to really get analytical about our relationships and reflecting on our, on our skill set and feeling like we have to earn love rather than receive it. So that's part of the reason we see uh, Venus fairly uncomfortable because Venus didn't feel like she had to earn anything. She just glowed with her phosphorescent essence and was adorned with the things that were coming to her and allowed things to come to her. So um, that is the danger with Venus in the first decade of, of Virgo is feeling like we have to earn uh, respect or earn love or earn appreciation or earn balance or having catharsis through doing things rather than just being. Okay. Uh, Mercury will be moving from zero degrees of Scorpio through seven degrees of Scorpio. It is starting the week out fast, but it is starting to slow down by the end of the week because it is preparing to turn retrograde on the 13th of October. It is in its retrograde shadow now. And a retrograde shadow is when uh, a planet moves through the, the, the section of the zodiac that it is going to revisit during its retrograde phase. So it began its shadow at about 25 degrees of Libra, and it will retrograde at 11 degrees of Scorpio and move all the way back to 25 Libra and then switch direction again. Okay, so anything we're doing mercurial right now, anything, any business we may be starting, any communications we may be having, um, any type of skills we may be learning, we may have to revisit some of these things uh, around the middle of October. Uh, and Mercury will go direct on 
yes, you guessed it, election day, November the 3rd. So um, a lot of astrologers are predicting some, some confusion, uh, a standstill, right? Because Mercury is going to be barely moving at all during election day. So we're, we're expecting some sort of news, but we may not get the type of news that we, uh, we want yet because we're probably going to see some corruption within the election system or people crying foul or trying to question the results of the election. We may just simply be waiting for mail-in ballots to be counted. That's another thing that we uh, probably are going to be experiencing with our United States election. Um, but don't expect clarity on, on election night. We've already seen, uh, as we've moved into this shadow period, a president that, that seems to suggest that he is go going to, that if he doesn't win, and if it's not this, like, you know, uh, I don't know, clear victory for, for President Trump, that automatically there's probably some corruption in the system. So uh, it's, he's gearing everybody up to, to question those results and trying to take them to a Supreme Court type of thing. And we've, of course, we've got all the Supreme Court stuff going on. Um, yeah, that malefic enclosure was rough. That's when we got the uh, Brianna Bri Taylor verdict and everyone was feeling very upset. Rightfully so about that. Uh, we were seeing... Uh, who Trump's pick was going to be for the Supreme Court justice uh, vacancy that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg left open. And of course, it was a woman named Amy Coney Barrett, who is a very conservative justice who um, has shown that she will probably be uh, instrumental in, in potentially reversing a, a verdict like Roe versus Wade. I know a lot of people have been talking about The Handmaid's Tale in regards to her, which is a dystopian fiction novel from the mid 80s about uh, a corrupt totalitarian regime that subjugates women's rights. Um, and people are really afraid of that. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the way it's all going to go down, but that definitely is a warning um, to, I guess, get out and vote if that's something that you don't want to see happen and to make your voice heard and to not get complacent about these things happening. Um, if if that you don't want to see that go, go down that path. Again, I think that we're playing out a lot of different mythological themes right now, but we're participants in it. We're not just passive uh, viewers of it. This is one thing that has been something I've had to learn as we go forward, or I, I've had to learn going forward in my own evolution as far as my understanding of of all of how life works is I can be an observer of life like an astrologer and see how it's all playing out, but that doesn't mean I'm not a participant. That doesn't mean I'm passively sitting by on the sidelines as much as I may desire to do so at times. Um, I had a really interesting uh, conversation with a friend who is sort of a hermit, I guess, like me. He's a, he was a musician in my local music scene, a really gentle, wise person who is very nice to almost everyone that he meets. And um, he made a very strong statement on social media about uh, his view that we are heading towards fascism and basically was like, hey, you know what? Like, uh, I can't sit around and, and let this happen. And if this, you're still, you know, support this type of totalitarian regime, then just go ahead and unfriend me right now, which was a pretty strong statement because He's, again, somebody who everybody, uh, everybody loves. And uh, I had a private conversation with him where we were talking about, you know, it's, we just can't 
stand around and, and be silent uh, at this moment of history. And it, it's rough sledding for hermits right now, where if you, you see the hermits coming out of their caves who would much rather just kind of go about their business and, you know, contemplate the nature of the universe, you know that things are getting a little sticky and a little challenging. Um, but I do think that this is one of those moments. And I think this is a moment where a, a, a figure like a figure like Gandalf or something like that uh, is emerging from his, you know, self-imposed isolation and speaking up. And that should be a signal to all of us that if those hermetic people are coming down off the mountaintop to give us an important warning or message that we really are in some uh, challenging times and we need to take those messages seriously. Okay, so uh, Mercury is peregrine this week when it is moving through Scorpio. It is out of that malefic enclosure now, which is good. So we're, that only lasted for like a, a day or so. Uh, that, that happened when we, when we had Mercury applying to an opposition to Mars uh, as it was separating from a square from uh, Saturn. So it was kind of in between these two malefic planets. And we may actually see, I don't know if we're going to see this particularly again when Mercury retrogrades, but we might. Um, we might. I'd have to take a look at that to make sure, but uh, it's possible. Um, Mercury is going to be in the terms of Mars from 0 to 7 degrees and the terms of Venus from 7 to 11 degrees. It'll be making a sextile to Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn. It will also be squaring Venus in Leo before it moves into uh, Mercury. <laughs> Mercury. I notice this happens a lot that we, as astrologers, when we're cranking out these like very detailed things, sometimes we'll say Mercury when we mean Virgo. That's something I've been guilty of in the past. And please forgive me if I misspeak because your brain just kind of going, going for it, you know, and kind of trying to get through it. Um, but then Mercury will be sextiling Venus in Virgo once it moves into Virgo. The host of Mercury this week will be a retrograde Mars, to which it is in a, an aversion relationship too. Now, one interesting thing that I didn't point out last week is that there is this concept in traditional astrology called like girding, And that means that even if we have a, a um, aversion relationship where right now Mercury is unable to witness its host, right? There's a blind spot here on either side there still may be an, a line of communication because Mars is in a sign or Mercury is in a sign that Mars also rules. So because Mars rules both Aries and Scorpio, there still may be some kind of, I don't know, back, back channels for Mercury to be able to receive resources. And that condition is called lichen girding. So I, th I wanted to point that out because that is uh, something where it may not be a true aversion may not be as bad as if we didn't have any line of communication at all, which we see with Venus and the sun once Venus moves into uh, Virgo. All right, the moon this week is going to be waxing from its gibbous phase to the full moon phase. It is going to be fairly slow moving this week. Um, we will see a perfection of the opposition of the moon with uh, the sun at nine degrees of Leo, or Libra and Aries. Can join that fixed star diadem. Uh, it will have uh, face rulership in the third decan of Aquarius. It will then be peregrine in both Pisces and Aries, and then it will move into its exaltation in uh, 
in Taurus, where it has triplicity rulership in the night and rulership by face in the second decade. So that's what we've got for the planetary condition report this week. Let's move forward to our daily exploration. Hooey. Yeah, it's been, been a lot going on. Again, I think that what I was what I was focusing on as all the news was coming out was this kind of um you know, the planets always tell us what what they need from us, I think, at any given moment. And I think what we were being asked to do with Mercury in this particular position was to maintain our equilibrium as chaos was blossoming around us. And uh, that's we saw that with Mercury in the third decan of Libra, which was, you know, that kind of like figure that was resting. And, um, you know, Austin Coppett called it a gyroscope where we're trying to balance out many different little things at once. But we do that by connecting with the center. And uh, this is a, another point in time where we have to just look at the planets. To, they, they will tell us kind of the circumstances that we are experiencing. They'll also give us kind of the solution too. And I think that what we're seeing at the beginning of the week here, now Mercury is moving into, you know, it's, it's moving through the first decan of Scorpio. That first decan of Scorpio, uh, we see the five of cups where somebody is mourning their losses, but then there's two cups behind them that they need to kind of shift perspective towards and have gratitudes, gratitude for that will help lead them over the path of the river, over the bridge to the castle of fulfillment. So I think in this particular moment, we may be mourning the loss of something like uh, women's, women's rights. We haven't lost yet, okay? Like, this is the thing. Like, the story hasn't played out yet. We, we may be mourning the loss of someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, who fought so hard for uh, equality and things of that nature. Um, but we have to really kind of mourn that loss, but then shift perspective and carry on. Uh, and that will lead us to that path of fulfillment. Um, and I think that that shift of perspective is really the mindset that really needs to come into play as we move forward through uh, late September and into October. The, the, the astrology in October is difficult. Um, and shining that light of awareness that the sun is, is asking us to do on, on what is unfair in the system, that's important. Um, you know, using Venus in the third decan of Leo to really defend our right to be. That's what we were looking at with the third decan of Leo. Um, glamorizing our heroes is another thing uh, where we could kind of like, you know, gain artistic inspiration through that artist, that, that uh, martial ability to defend our right to be, uh, to defend the rights of women. This is a thing that we could see with, with Venus moving through the third decan of Leo. Any, anywhere that Venus is moving toward or through, we may simultaneously be, be able to gain catharsis through acknowledging that particular set of thematic um, stories. Uh, we also may be able to uh, attract things through, through that particular area of the zodiac, through, through embodying that type of energy. Um, we also may be able to reflect on or back that type of those type of themes through artistic expression. Remember, I'll, I'll beat this 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 horse till it's till it's you know uh, a part of us. Venus was responsible for the purity of the Greek drama. 
I love this signification. I learned this from Robert Schmidt. I love this way of thinking about Venus is we have to, to create uh, peace and harmony through, through expressing strong emotions. And through, that's how we're going to purify ourselves and, and get rid of, rid of that backup. It, it fits so well with Venus because Venus was about ritualized cleansing. It was about like worship. It was about reflecting. Um, it was about receiving. So we're receiving this cleansing. We're getting rid of those strong feelings through whatever area of the zodiac that we are seeing Venus move through. So on Monday... September the 28th, the moon is going to start out in Aquarius and it's going to move into Pisces at 11.33 a.m. It's in the waxing gibbous phase where we are trying to refine what we are doing for the flowering that's going to happen at the full moon. Um, the moon will oppose Venus at 1.04 a.m. at 24 degrees of, of Aquarius and Leo. It will then sextile a retrograde Mars uh, at 3.17 a.m. at 25 degrees of Aquarius and Aries that will then move into Pisces around uh, around noon ish, and then it will make a trine to um, Mercury in Scorpio at one degree of Pisces and Scorpio at two forty four p.m. The big aspect of the day, uh, the non lunar aspect of the day, is Venus will be making an exact trine to Mars in Aries, retrograde Mars in Aries. So if we move our our chart forward just a little bit. We will see this perfecting around 9 p.m. So here we go. And now we've got the exact trine between Mars and Aries, which is in the overcoming position, with Venus in Leo. And this is interesting because there is definitely a mythological relationship between Mars and Venus, or, or Aphrodite and Ares. And it was one of a, a, an erotic, passionate, almost illicit love between them. Because remember, Aphrodite was married to Hephaestus. She was bound to Hephaestus by marriage, who was you know, sort of a homely god. He wasn't very attractive. He was sort of like the anti-Ares. Ares is you know, kind of the sexy warrior guy. And Venus, of course, Aphrodite was very beautiful, uh, the most beautiful of the goddesses. And... Uh, you know, it's it's natural that that they would they would find one another attractive. Now the story goes that that uh, Hephaestus kind of got word that they were um, having this affair and made this very intricate invisible net to catch them in the the coital act and did, and then you know uh, you know shamed them and said to the other uh, Olympian gods and goddesses, look at my wife and this this shame that has been brought upon her, uh, you know, and of course the gods came and, and witnessed it and the goddesses were like, that's uncouth and they weren't going to participate in that. Um, so we have to think about that we may be feeling a little bit of this like erotic tension with this trine. Um, we may be feeling like we want to take some actions uh, towards utilizing our charisma with with Mars heading through the third decan of Aries, this was the, the, the decan that was uh, the Venusian decan, where it was about kind of trying to win over a hostile crowd. And this may be where we're seeing efforts to win over a hostile crowd to be able to express our hard-won authenticity or defend it, okay? So see how this relationship is happening here. We may be taking action, Mars, 
and trying to use our charisma to win over that hostile crowd and maintain and receive maybe acknowledgement for who we are and defend that. It's almost like they're uh, exchanging dignity by, um, by face as well, because this face is ruled by Venus. And this face of Leo is ruled by Mars. So there is a harmonious relationship between those two, uh, two types of dignities. Um, I would say that the thing to be careful with is aggressively pursuing pleasure. Uh, you may get yourself into trouble, like we saw with Ares and Aphrodite, um, pursuing this erotic affair. Uh, we, you may be reviewing how you take action in your, in your pursuit of pleasure, in, in your pursuit of authenticity. So a lot of the times when we see a planet moving retrograde, what we are trying to do actually creates almost like an opposite type of effect. I really noticed this with Venus and its, um, its desire to attract, but when we have a retrograde Venus, we end up repelling. So what are we doing when we have Mars heading retrograde? Well, we have a desire to take action, but our, the way that we are taking action or the way that we're using our energy may actually be further uh, embroiling us in conflict rather than winning the conflict or separating us from something that we don't want anymore. Mars has this severing and separating quality. It, it, it uses its courage. It uses its bravery to create this victory where it doesn't have to, you know, be subjugated to some kind of um, other that isn't a part of it, right? It's that quest for individuation. But when we have Mars retrograde, our attempts at, at creating that individuality, that individuation, uh, we may be taking actions that really further embroil us in that conflict and in that relationship rather than giving us the liberation that we're seeking from Mars in its very powerful position. So I think that that's something that to consider, and especially because it's, it's really perfecting that. Uh, you know, the story that we've got here is you can almost think of Saturn as playing that Hephaestian role, Okay. Uh, and that is one of the things that we saw um, that Ren Butler really talks about with this Venus, I'm sorry, this Mars-Saturn um, relationship is doing this hard, dirty work, you know, doing, you know, using, utilizing our patience. So we have this overcoming square from Saturn where the system, you know, Saturn is in that third decan of Capricorn, which is associated with power and the throne. The system is, is creating uh, the, a backwards-looking energy, where because Saturn is moving retrograde as well, okay? But again, we're going to be seeing this slowing down and seeing the system taking, taking control again or questioning it. All right, so that's Monday, what we've got on the 28th. That's the main thing is the perfection of uh, Venus and Mars. Um, so let's move forward to Tuesday, the 29th, cause that's going to, we'll, we'll expand on our, on our Mars, uh, our Mars Saturn square and, uh, the, the direct motion of Saturn that happens on Tuesday. So I'm going to move my chart forward here. We've got a big day going on September the 29th. This is one that astrologers have been looking at for quite some time. I just thought it was pretty ironic that the presidential debate was going to happen on this day. 
that should be interesting. Uh, and by interesting, it'll probably be frustrating, is what I will say. Um, we are also seeing like Venus starting to make contact with the fixed star Alphard, so we may see some nastiness come out. Um, I will talk about that as we get to Wednesday, but that's like the the position of uh, poisonous desire, okay, of, uh, you know, snake bites. Um, when you cut one head off, another one will erupt in its place. So you may be seeing that as well. On Tuesday the 29th, moon's going to start off in Pisces in the waxing gibbous phase before we get to our full moon. Now we're going to be feeling uh, that full moon type of energy uh, as we wax towards, I believe, the full moon's on Thursday. So we're just feeling that buildup of energy. Um, the moon's going to sextile Uranus at 6.58 a.m. at 9 degrees of Pisces and Taurus. It will then sextile Jupiter uh, in the evening at 17 degrees of Pisces and Capricorn at 10.40 p.m. Now, like I said, the big thing that's happening is, is Saturn will turn direct at 1.11 in the a.m., and then Mars is going to perfect its square to a newly direct Saturn at 5.49 p.m., right as we're gearing up for that, that, uh, that debate. That happens at 25 degrees of Aries and Capricorn. And the two decans we're dealing with is the third decan of Aries and the third decan of Capricorn. And we can see those represented by the four of wands and the four of pentacles, okay? And as I described with Venus trying Mars the day before, we are definitely trying to use charisma to win over a hostile crowd with Mars. Yet, we may be doing it in a way that actually uh, repels those people because, or makes it difficult to move forward because of the retrograde motion of Mars. Now, Saturn, though, what does Saturn want from us? Well, it's moving through Capricorn. It's its own domicile. It's drawing upon all its own resources. It is able to uh, compost the old. It is able to bring us uh, a feeling of exile. This is one of the Schmidt, Schmidt types of uh, keywords where we, we, Saturn is making us aware or giving us an awareness of the feelings of exile. It is bringing uh, almost an ignorance to a certain area of life too because it is the quality of darkness where the sun is bringing this light of awareness you know, Saturn's going to show us where we may be ignorant and where we may have to work extra hard to create new balance. I do think that Saturn is associated with rebalancing things that have gotten corrupt, right? Think about the, the, the cycle of growth and decay, if we want to think about it in a, a little bit of a Dane Rudyard way, uh, more of a modern astrologer way of thinking about growth and decay. Um, over the course of the uh, solar cycle. We see the growth happening in the spring. We see things blooming in the summer, and then we're harvesting in the, in the fall. And then we see the consolidation and everything starting to rest in the winter, gathering energy for the next cycle. Saturn is that consolidation energy. It's the fall where we're harvesting, but it's also the winter while we are resting and we are decaying and we're composting and we're letting go of the old forms, which I will reiterate is a necessary function of life on this planet. You have to have decay to have healthy growth. 
And, and I, I was really just really hearing this again as I was listening. You know, I was taking my shower today and sometimes I'll throw on Pandora or, you know, that's how I listen to my music. I'm old. Sorry, I don't do Spotify as much. Pandora is the way that I consume music. And I have a Tears for Fears radio station because I like Tears for Fears and my 80s synth pop. I'm 40, okay? Like that was the music of my youth. And I'm a Cancer with a Taurus moon. So there's some nostalgic uh, way I consume culture. All right. No apologies here for that. But, but it, it, Tears for Fears is great. And here's why. Uh, they Not only did they have catchy melodies and all of these things and these cool synth pop things, they were intelligent. And the, the lead singer of uh, Tears for Fears, and his name is Ro- Rowan something or other, um, he was a Virgo. And if I had to guess, he probably had his son in the, in the um, third decade of Virgo, where he, regardless of where it's at, he's thinking about what stays and what goes. He's thinking about decay. He was somebody who sang a lot and wrote a lot of lyrics about, uh, I think, the, the indulgences of the 80s and the indulgences of late stage capitalism. He had one of my favorite songs of them that I heard today was Break It Down. Break It Down Again. No more sleepy dreaming. Uh, you know, it, is, it isn't time to expand. It's time to decay. It's time to see the beauty of decay. And uh, that is what we're, that is what the energy we see when we're seeing with Saturn. Okay. Now, again, the, uh, some of the other archetypes associated with Saturn is trying to uh, prevent that change. Also, it, it, Saturn's complex. Remember, we talked about Saturn, uh, you know, consuming his children. I do think in Capricorn, uh, that is more Kronos consuming the children. All right, because we we think of Capricorn as everything that is inside the wall, all of like you know the trying to contain something. Uh, where we see maybe Saturn's role in uh, Aquarius as what happens after the liberation of Zeus, potentially. You know, everything has been expelled outside of the wall. It, there is this, this exile quality of, of Saturn, uh, you know, and of that relationship with Zeus. And we'll, we will see that when Saturn moves again into Aquarius and we feel that um, that we are, we are exiles on this planet and we will have to deal with the realization that there are many people that are living outside of the system and how do we bring back into balance the exaltation of Saturn and Libra, okay? How do we use the quality of nemesis as I've talked about too? Nemesis in the ancient Greek way of thinking about it being uh, restoring balance and consistency to the random distributions of fate represented by 2K and the moon, okay? So this is something that is contextualizing our Mars-Saturn square on Tuesday, all right? Saturn's moving forward again. Saturn is, is composting these old forms. We may be seeing Kronos, Mitch McConnell, whoever is represented by that old guard starting to consume again and, you know, like trying to double down on maintaining the old power structure. And we'll see frustration because we see everybody trying to fight against that with Mars and Aries and trying to win over this hostile crowd and heading, you know, headlong into 
the brick wall that is the old guard. Now, the way that I can give you maybe some peace of mind or some solace, we're not going to live in this condition forever. This is part of the beauty of astrology, is this energy is perfecting Tuesday, and we are going to start moving off of it. Okay, that doesn't mean that we're completely out of the woods with these Mars Saturn squares. There will be one more, but it won't be in these two signs. It'll be in the sign of Aquarius and the sign of Taurus in early January. So this may be again where we're seeing all the hullabaloo that's going to happen at the election. And you know, this that's right around inauguration time where we're probably going to see some kind of drama playing out about transfer of power or you know whatever you know and um so but it will be thematically different all right so those of you who have like late cardinal placements right now you may get a little bit of uh, a release from some of that particular pressure um when those two planets move signs now, here's one of the things that some of the themes that one of my favorite authors, Ren Butler, talks about in his book, The Archetypal Universe. Uh, he talks about fear-driven action, okay? Saturn being representing fear, action being represented by Mars. Frustration or inability to move forward uh, due to bureaucratic red tape. And I've added that in since it is the, that bureaucratic red tape is the third decan of Capricorn. Uh, the hammer and the anvil uh, doing the dirty work. Okay, showing, uh, shutting, shoving our anger down, repressing anger on some level. Um, Hephaestus, the blacksmith, catching Ares and Aphrodite in his net. Okay, so like catching somebody in the act of something illicit. All right, and this may be, we're seeing a lot of rumblings out there about Trump and his tax returns and Trump and his double dealings and all of this. This may be, you know, he, he, is playing out this story too since he is a leo ascendant with venus in his first house he may be, get caught in some kind of illicit act or other politicians may be getting caught in illicit acts i don't it's not just uh not just him i think that i will admit that there is corruption on both sides of the political spectrum you know I'm, i tend to be pretty liberal when it comes to my own personal politics you know at the same time i i think about, I don't know, politics is so complicated. Uh, I think that where I stand on a lot of that is I like the, the idea of equal rights for everyone. I like the, that I think people should be treated the way that they want to be treated in return. Um, I think that there's a lot of hullabaloo about um, people feeling threatened um, by things that aren't really threatening you know, by people just trying to live their life and feeling like they have to control other people because it makes them question what they're doing with their life. But I think it's, it's kind of ridiculous. I think that uh, one thing that I've seen is that there's one side of the political spectrum that, that wants to just let, you know, that wants to just live their life. And there's another side that wants to control the other side and, uh, or, and violently if, if necessary. And uh, I think if we just kind of relax and just let people be who they are, um, that would probably resolve a lot of these conflicts. But for whatever reason, um, this whole like return to some imaginary greatness uh, threatens, is threatening to, to people, you know, like that is, that is like, uh, you know, 
I just think it never existed in the first place. So there's nothing to return back to. And um, it's just change. I think that everybody has a liberal and a conservative side. I mean, I would say the conservative side of myself is about recognizing the cyclical nature of, of nature, of the world, of the earth, of respecting cycles. I don't think that that's necessarily like a, a Republican or a Democratic ideal. Um, that's just realizing that sometimes there has to be contraction. And like, the, think about uh, the way that we do budget spending. Um, a lot of times we'll have people who want to do a lot of liberal spending and things like that, where other people want to balance a budget. Like if you want to be fiscally conservative, that is realizing that you have to contract spending things. Now, <laughs> like, I do think I would consider myself a little bit more fiscally conservative, only in this sense, though. I, I realize that the whole system is completely messed up and corrupt, that it's, there isn't any fiscal conservative, fiscal liberals anymore. There's oligarchy. There's a certain percentage of the system of the, that is consolidating wealth into a very small percentage of people. There's a wealth system that is based on putting people and keeping people in debt. Um, so when we talk about distribution of resources, you could call that left if you want. Um, it, a lot of these political things are just constructs. You know what I'm saying? They're just weird thought exercises. And you say, I am this and I am that. And a lot, that's the problem that we run into. Um, I think that you can be... Um, many different things at once. You can believe in equal distribution of wealth. You can believe in equal rights for people. And at the same time, you can believe in not, you know, spending or, or unlimited, unchecked economic growth. Those are, those two things are, you can hold those two things simultaneously. We, we are ambiguous beings as, a, as having this human experience. And we're going to have to figure that out with this full moon too. Like we're going to have to balance out and hold some dualities. And with this square, we may have to recognize that we, there is a system that we still have to kind of work within for a, a period of time. If the period of time comes that shows that the system will not support the will of the people anymore, then we will have to change the system. And that, that, that time is here. I, I will fully admit that that time is here. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns that I think that are happening within even just the next three or four months. Um, we'll see. I would say that the way that I would handle this, if I was thinking about this from my own like hermetic emerging from the cave perspective, is that you have to stay in the moment on one level while simultaneously being able to think about the consequences of your actions. So I think it's like, what is the, you have to have the big plan. We have to figure out what the next step is. It's like, okay, I know what I'm going towards. I have that, that 30,000 foot viewpoint, but what is the step I'm going to take today? What is the issue I'm going to deal with today rather than getting completely overwhelmed with everything, completely overwhelmed with, oh my God, what is going to happen with the Supreme Court 30 years from now or something like that? Like, Yes, that is important. And yes, it is important to fight for what you believe in in that regard. But you have to take that one next step. And then you have to take the one after that. And I think that that's the way to deal with Saturn and Capricorn too, is Saturn is also a binding energy. 
and we are being bound to positions of power. We're, at, we're seeing the consequences, Saturn, and the limitations of authority and power. We're bearing the, the weight and the mantle of that authority. And there may be some of you out there who have not been used to taking up positions of power. And that may feel uh, overwhelming too, but may be necessary for the society that needs to be built in, into the future. Okay, so that's what we have for Tuesday. I'm really curious as to what happens on the debate. I have a, like a, a group of people that I meet up, like we talk about books and astrology. Maybe we'll get together as a group and watch it together. Or maybe we'll just avoid it altogether and see it after the fact and just think about our own vision for the new society. We've been doing a lot of that. It's almost like a think tank for the new reality. It's really interesting. And it's really some really intelligent people uh, it's really been something that I would encourage a lot of you to do. If you have a group of people that you can talk some of these things out with, you don't have to do it alone. And in fact, you won't be able to do it alone. Uh, that's really part of the themes that I see coming up over the, the new uh, centuries to come, is that uh, doing it alone from a purely material perspective is just not going to work anymore. It's not going to, our, our earth is encouraging us to team up, to acknowledge that we're interconnected, to acknowledge that we can't take an action in our own city, in our own states, in our own countries without it having an impact on, on some other city, country, community um, very far away. I, I really, that, that, was, uh, that realization really came to me strongly when there was these forest fires happening on the West Coast and that smoke from 4,000 miles away was blocking out the light of the sun in the area that I lived in. And that's the kind of, that's a, a symbol for what, what we're going to be dealing with moving forward. All right, let's move forward to Wednesday. So, on Wednesday, September the 30th, the last day of September, uh, the moon will be moving from Pisces into Aries, uh, and at 10.47 p.m., it'll move into Aries. It's moving through that waxing gibbous phase for one more day. It will move under the bond at 22 degrees of Pisces around 7.30 in the morning. So part of our experience on Wednesdays is that feeling of maybe restriction, of not being able to bring something into being quite yet. Uh, that's what we have when we have this, like, you know, under the bond either at the new moon or at the full moon, okay, where we're at the new moon, we're being seeded with some sort of new initiative, some sort of new gnosis, some new divine assignment, really. At the full moon, we're trying to bring that thing to fruition, but we may not be able to do it quite yet because it is in the process of blooming. And we don't know exactly what's blooming yet, but we've got to be patient while it's coming into form, okay? Like it's that moment where it's coming to its full form. And then we will really understand what we have manifested when the moon escapes the bond uh, a few days after the full moon perfects. So the moon will start out conjoining Neptune at 1 a.m. at 19 degrees of Pisces. You can see that here. Uh, it will also sextile a retrograde Pluto at 7.49 a.m. at 22 degrees, right here. Uh, and then it will finish its lunar aspects of the day by sextiling Saturn at 1.29 p.m. at 25 degrees 
of Pisces and Capricorn, respectively. So we have some positive contacts. So, you know, contacts with Neptune. Neptune is not really, I'm not really a fan of Neptune anymore, to be quite honest with you. Neptune, as a Virgo person, the, this Neptune in Pisces has been kind of hard. Anytime, I, I have three planets. I have Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, and Virgo. And every anytime there's like Pisces, Neptune stuff, it just makes me feel really foggy, fuzzy. I lose energy. I think that's what my main experience of Neptune has been, is just losing material will. So we may have this desire to escape and to pursue uh, some kind of either fantasy or some kind of spirituality or some kind of transcendent thing where we're trying to get past physical matter and reality. And for me, as a person who is pretty, pretty grounded on down to earth, it's like, ugh, I can't do what I want to do, you know? And maybe it's, maybe there's a lesson in there for sure. I know there is, but uh, you know, I always feel tired. I always feel sleepy and like I'm, I just go lay on the couch and daydream. So that may be what we're doing on Wednesday with some of these contacts with, with uh, Neptune and the Pisces moon and, you know, things of that nature. Now, the other thing that we're seeing on Wednesday is Venus is conjoining a fixed star called Alphard. Now, let's switch over briefly. This happens at 27 degrees of Leo. And I will switch over to my star chart. And let's take a look at Alphard and the symbolism associated with it. And you can see it right here. It's a very long constellation. Let's go to the 30th because then we can see what's happening here. There's the 30th Wednesday. Here we have uh, Venus right here. And Alphard is right here in like one of the heads of, of Hydra. Okay. Hydra is this big, long sea serpent, has many heads. It is carrying the, uh, the cup or the goblet of Apollo and also Corvus the crow on its back. Remember, that was the crow that got distracted by the, the delicious figs when it was given the divine assignment by Apollo to fill the sacred cup. Um, so we are dealing with uh, the divinity riding on this, the back of, of this Desire. We can think of the snake and serpents as associated with desire, um, with the material world, uh, with guarding things like the guarding, um, the Garden of Eden or the apple of the that gave us the the knowledge of duality of opposites. Um, and Hydra was something that was was one of the labors of of Hercules. He had to fight the Hydra, and you remember we saw we talked a little bit about. Um, the crab distracting uh, Hercules by nipping at its heels. Okay, that was like another part of its uh, his labors. But the Hydra is tricky because when we cut off one desire, one head, another or another hundred, I don't know how the exact number, spring up in its place. And we really have to get to the core of what we are dealing with when we're dealing with Alphard and Hydra. So this is the multi-headed serpent that battled with Hercules. Um, it's about taming a desire. It's about deep passion that erupts. It, it also is associated with poisons, um, with, with snake bites, uh, intensity, you know, with its contact with Venus. This may be intense emotions, okay? Intense uh, catharsis that is coming up that feels 
toxic, but we have to get rid of those toxic feelings. And we may have one toxic feeling that erupts right after the next. We may feel like we've expressed something uh, <laughs> that is has to do with um, defending our authentic right to be within relationships. And then we may have another emotion or another type of feeling that crops up in its place. I would say that this type of thing might be where, imagine you're in a relationship and you've been, uh, you know, pushing down many like microaggressions from your partner or many complaints that you have about the way that they've been. And one little uh, thing sets you off into being upset about, you know, a, a month's worth of things, a year's worth of things, a decade's worth of things. I think that's the energy of this, this uh, Venus being conjoined, this fixed star by projected ecliptical degree. So I would, I would be careful of emotional outbursts because they could be very damaging uh, with this particular fixed star. Um, with this energy. And you may have to not just deal with the many multivalent issues. You may have to really go to the core of what is bothering you. A lot of our complaints come up when we are dealing with a, a, a more core emotion uh, rather than just the little e expressions of it. Okay. So I really encourage you to get to the core of why you may be feeling disrespected in a relationship or, or how you may be feeling that you are defending your authentic self. What is it? It may not be like, oh, they didn't do the dishes today. Or it may not be, oh, they, I don't know, don't like the same TV shows as me or something like that. Or, or we disagree on this. It may be a core thing, more like uh, you don't respect who I am. It may feel like that. It may not actually even be true, but we may feel like because some, you get something as simple as we don't share the same taste. That could be like a, a feeling like that they don't respect who you are. And, and I would encourage you to, to try to, sometimes you have to separate those two things out. A lot of times in relationships, we can like different things. We can even sh share or hold some uh, differing values. But you have to figure out which, which of those values is a deal breaker, which of those behaviors is a deal breaker, and which of them do we maybe share with one another that is, is part of a fundamental foundation of why we are together. And because the, the sun is moving through Libra and we have this mutual reception, we may be getting an awareness of those contracts that we have with one another, marriage and relationship and partnership being one of those contracts that we agree upon. So... There may be some reevaluation of some of those contractual obligations too, especially when the sun starts to move into the second decan of Libra, which we will discuss shortly. Okay, so that is Alfard. Share in the comments your experience of that or of this this week. I always love hearing from all of you and seeing your stories and how it's playing out. Um, it, it is definitely helpful to get that feedback from all of you. So let's move back and we're going to move forward to October. Happy October. So on October the 1st, the moon will start off in uh, Aries and we will be experiencing our full moon. The full moon will be exact. It will be an, full moons are always in opposition of the lights, in opposition between the moon and the sun. And it will perfect at 5.05 p.m. Eastern time at nine degrees of Aries and 
of Libra. That's the only aspect of the day. Uh, that's the only perfected aspect. But there are other players, okay? There are other players in the, in the story, in the narrative. So let's go forward to the full moon. Here we go. So this is around 5 p.m. when we're going to see the exact opposition between the sun and the moon. Now, to break this down in detail, we have to realize that we have one fixed star that's playing a pretty prominent role. And that is at nine degrees of Libra, we have the fixed star uh, diadem, uh, which is the woman's crown. It is part of the constellation um, Coma Berenices. Berenices. Oh, geez, hang on. Coma Bernices, right? This is the uh, and this was the the wife of Ptolemy the Third, who was a, I believe, an Egyptian or a Greek pharaoh. I know there's some. I have some kind of ambiguity about which era we're talking about with that story, but uh, the the point remains the same. And this queen sacrificed her hair which was very important in that period of time as a status symbol for the safe return of her husband from war. So this fixed star is about sacrifice, about sacrifice for the family, awareness of some burden you may be carrying for, for your community or for, for your family of origin. It doesn't have to be necessarily a family by blood. It could be like your community. Um, a vitality uh, comes through a willingness to serve, a willingness to sacrifice. There may be behind the scenes work that you are doing that benefits others because of your devotion to a particular cause. I, I've said that I have some clients with this uh, position um, and they have made some intense sacrifices for their families and for their communities. And they, they do a lot of behind the scenes work. It's, it's very interesting to see this connection in their, in their chart. Um, now the opposition with the moon. Now we have two tarot cards and decans that we're dealing with here. We have the sun in the first decan of Libra, which is that judgment, that judgment of Mott, where we are weighing the heart against the weight of the feather, where we're having an awareness of all the things that we've brought with us to the, the afterlife. And we're, we're really getting, um, shining the light on how our actions affect others, right? How our ability to wield authority has an, as a, it reflects, remember Venus is the host of this, on the other people and the relationships in our life. And we may be brought to judgment at this full moon. Now, the first decan of, of Aries is represented by this two of wands. Now, this, these two cards, the two and the three of wands, I, always, I don't really, uh, I don't feel a strong connection with them yet. Uh, still kind of working out what they mean, but from my understanding is that this particular Deccan talks about creating your own world through separation, Mars, right? Because this is a Mars ruled sign and figuring out how you become an individual, uh, you know, because Austin Coppett calls this Deccan the axe, where you are separating yourself from the mother plant or from the, the, the womb and, and, becoming born in at like the spring equinox into your own form right uh, whereas we had this unification with the divine through like pisces uh, and that now we're separating from that oneness right 
So this is, this is the opposition and the balance point of who are you as an individual and an individuated person versus what do you need to sacrifice for the people and the relationships in your life? What is worthy of your sacrifice? What kind of sacrifice is going too far? You may have to be careful about sacrificing too much of yourself for the good of the partnership or the whole or things like that. There may be those questions involved in what you are doing. So it's important for you in this particular full moon to be able to think about who are you as an individual? Who are you and what is your role within your partnership? What is the contract that you've agreed to? You may have to fight for some self-interest, okay? While simultaneously maintaining an awareness of others' needs. Like I said, there's, there's um, my teacher, my astrology teacher, Chuta Bhavadas, talks about oppositions as not necessarily needing to solve them, okay? Because these are of the nature of Saturn. It's about being able to hold them, hold that duality. And being able to say, how do we be able to feel fairly comfortable? It's never going to feel totally comfortable, but how do we like hold those two differing needs simultaneously without necessarily having to like blend them together? So there is a way to have your own individual needs met while respecting the needs of your partnership. And that may be what we're experiencing here with this particular full moon. Now, this is the fruition of the Virgo new moon in the third decan of Virgo, where we were asking ourselves, what legacy do we want to create? And part of that legacy may be the legacy of what we do for others versus how we create self-identity, okay? So another way you can think about this too is a willingness to fight, okay, the moon in Aries for peace, the sun in Libra or equality. There may be a time when we really have to fight for peace. That's the duality, that, that, the paradox that is inherent in a full moon like this, where sometimes we have to fight for peace. Sometimes we have to go to war to maintain an equilibrium and a balance. Sometimes we have to use the axe to separate ourselves from something that's no longer serving us to, to create that harmony again. You know, and sometimes we have to be peaceful so that we can become individuals. I see how it works both ways. Sometimes we have to reflect and accept that others are different from us so that we can become individuals within a system or within a relationship, okay? So we're holding those opposing cardinal desires of individuation and social harmony. Maybe have to make a personal sacrifice for that social harmony due to the conjoining of the fixed star diadem. And what are those sacrifices? It could be voting. It could be sacrificing privilege. It could be educating ourselves about how we are privileged in this society versus others who, have, who don't have that particular thing. Maybe we need to speak out like my, my good hermetic friend. Um, maybe we have to give up an old belief system. Maybe we have to separate ourselves from an old belief system or an old personal desire so that we can have societal harmony. So, so society is a contractual agreement. We do not live, unless you're some sort of frontiersman living completely off the land, using no social services, not driving a car on any of the roads that are paid for by taxpayer dollars, or using you know, any of the other social services that you enjoy by living in a society like America. You're part of a social contract. And one of the, the biggest bullshit things that we, we – try to accentuate as Americans is that we have this 
this cowboy like uh individualism like we can do everything ourselves bullshit bullshit it's bullshit i'm, I'm just gonna say it's right there yeah it's important to like have in individual initiative but you are part of a system you're part of a, a social contract there are other people that live in your communities there are other people that you share resources with and that is one of the things that i think we just have to come to terms with especially as americans because we resist that a lot a lot of us resist that because we have this this uh false bravado this like uh this remnant from pioneer culture this remnant from like you know this like mm, i don't know through from from our ancestors that had to be really uh oh i don't know america is a, is a is a country of immigrants and it's a it's a country of you know i have to be i have to think about this for a second so i can express this in the right way it is a country that is we had immigration right where we came here and we colonized it we have to recognize the 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 dark side of colonization we of course had indigenous peoples here who were here first and were caretakers and stewards of this land they weren't just like living this random existence they they had like organized societies here they were stewards of the forests and of the lands I think that's one of the myths that we have as of the the noble savage quote unquote which is ridiculous and dumb you know like uh they were very organized in the way that they took care of the land they just happened to like respect it and think of it as an organism and not think of it as just a commodity which we can learn a lot from that's another thing i've been thinking about this week you know I've, i was seeing a lot of things about how people in a capitalistic society just think of a tree as as a resource not as a living thing not as a living being not as an ensouled creature okay like i saw really good i go back to my teacher achuta he was talking about his bhakti yoga practice and someone asked him about uh whether animals have a soul and he says everything has a soul he said animals have a soul people have a soul trees have a soul and uh you know i agree with him on that and if we think about all these living things as being ensouled, we think of the cosmos itself as being ensouled. This is one of the, the main takeaways I had with my, we have a little book club about Richard Tarnas's book, Cosmos and Psyche. And we're also reading um, Jeffrey Cornelius's Moment of Astrology right now. And one of the main takeaways and main themes that we've been talking about is an ensouled cosmos and how we really have lost that. We've lost this like, uh, feeling of the cosmos as this living being. And uh, this is something I've really uh, started to realize reading Jeffrey Cornelius is that uh, how does astrology work? Like he's trying to pr prove that astrology is not just a doctrine of origin, a hypothesis of seeds, of like the, the, the marriage of a moment with a period of time and a quality. And that is really, that's a difficult concept to wrap your head around on some level, because he's saying that there are charts that represent things like in a horary chart where, where we can see symbolism playing out where it's completely disconnected from time. And I know that what I'm saying here is a little controversial, but go read that, that book first. But to me, what that speaks to is a conscious universe 
And the symbols that we are interpreting here have to be filtered through our own consciousness, okay, through our own experiences, sort of like, I always, I'm going to compare this to like uh, quantum physics, where we have a wave of possibilities, right? And they, it's not that there's every possibility, it's not endless. There are certain waves that are, that are based on natural law, but they can pop into and out of existence based on our attention and our focal point, okay? And we've proven this with like, you know, atoms and quarks and all this. I don't know the science exactly, but my very rudimentary understanding is that an experiment can change based on the person who's doing the experiment. There is no completely objective experiment. And I think that that's one of the, the falsehoods that we really try to put out there as scientists. No scientist is completely objective. That, there is a false equivalency with all of that. And I think there's the same thing with astrologers too, where none of us are completely objective. And even our astrology itself isn't completely objective. It's rooted in cultural bias. It's rooted in cultural ancestral stories. I'm guilty of this. I love Greek mythology. And I make no qualms about this, that a lot of my interpretations are built on that particular mythology. I have one particular uh, uh, gentleman in my group who has been really great at pointing that out and, and really getting me to think about that a lot. Um, because he, he, he basically has a, a perspective that it's, he doesn't like a mythology and he, he doesn't, he, he thinks that we need to renew the stories. And I, I actually agree with him on a lot of ways. He, he, we need to recontextualize a lot of this stuff. I don't think it's, a, I, I think that part of my uh, Virgo third, third deck in Virgo energy is like, what can we preserve from the past that is useful and what do we discard and need to renew? Okay, so I th do think that there is, is beauty and truth in some of these stories that if we understand them within the context of their society, we will be able to glean some knowledge that we can then uh, update for the, uh, the way that we need to function in the social contracts that we have now from the point of consciousness and the time frame that we are living in. So... That is my long-winded thing about, uh, well, I don't even know what we're talking about, full moon. Um, yeah, I, I think that it is important to like think about those things and social constructs and stuff like that. But uh, I love that book. I love these books that we're reading. It's, I would really encourage you, you know, just keep, keep educating yourself. I was thinking about this with Bernadette Brady and the way that she talks about exile planets. I have Jupiter in exile. And... Uh, the way that I find meaning, Jupiter, the way that I find faith is through constantly learning. I have that first decan, Jupiter in, in Virgo, right? First decan Virgo, constantly questioning, constantly crafting, constantly learning more things. And yes, I, that sometimes that brings me pain. Yes, that sometimes puts me outside of the norm of the establishment where I just have to accept things on faith. I don't do that very well. But again, that's the, way that the, that's the way that I will find my faith is through continuing to learn. And I think that there's something outside the norm because what it does is it, I constantly will be questioning my beliefs. I don't just have a, a certain belief system that I was raised with that I, that I unequivocally just say, this is what I believe and I'm going to shape my whole life around it. My whole life will be constantly reevaluating what I believe in. And that is very different than a lot of society. But I don't think that it's necessarily wrong. 
It's just outside of the establishment, which, which I appreciate about the way Brady talks about that. And I think you can think about that with planets in your own chart that are either exiled or in their fall. You just are out of step with the establishment. And we need people like you and we need people like me who are questioning the establishment because sometimes the establishment gets stale. That's what we're seeing now. The establishment is stale. And like Cheers for Fears says, we need to break it down again so that we can rebuild it through a new healthy experience. I want to tell you, if you could see in my background here, I know that I don't have my screen here, but I'm going to stop my share for a second. You can see in the background that I have a hobby that is very good for me. Let's see if I could show you what I've got here without dropping it. This is a bonsai tree. This is the perfect hobby, I think, for someone who is questioning the establishment and a, and a Virgo hobby because it's dealing with things that are small. It is Dealing with the, the uh, here's how I was thinking about this the other day, because I was thinking about how perfect of a hobby this is for me. It's allowing me to get rid of what is no longer appropriate for the form, okay? And it is also requiring me to balance the fact that I need to have faith that if I cut one of these branches off, if I get one of these, some of this growth, and get rid of it, that something else will come up in its place. And I will tell you, that was one of the hardest things that I struggled with when I first started this hobby, and I still struggle with it a little bit. I didn't want to prune the tree. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because I, I didn't, it was hard for me to have the faith that it was going to grow back. And every time that I've just taken the leap and said, you know what, this removal is necessary for it to take the shape that is healthy, that for it to have healthy growth, then it's proven to me. I've just been in awe and of wonder, in wonder of that concept. And I'm looking at my trees now and they all need a good pruning. <laughs> but think about that. Think about our society right now too, is that we may be in need of a good pruning so that we can reshape it and find that beauty and that balance again. Bonsai is all about balance, balance in the form and maintaining that form. And sometimes it comes from removing certain parts of it. Okay. Let's go forward to Friday. What time is it? I don't even know. Yep. We got to finish this up. All right. On Friday. So that's our full moon. On Friday, October the 2nd, we're continuing our full moon phase. The moon doesn't escape the bond till Saturday, so we'll save that for Saturday. But we may still be diff having difficulty manifesting. Uh, we, we're, we're just kind of having a realization moment with the full moon through Thursday and Friday. Now, the moon will make a square to Jupiter at 10.58 a.m. at 18 degrees of uh, Aries and Capricorn. It will then square Pluto retrograde at 9.59 p.m., 22 Aries and 22 Capricorn. And then finally, it will make a conjunction with the retrograde Mars, the moon will, at 11.56 p.m. at 24 degrees of Aries. Now, we have a couple other non-lunar things that are happening on Friday that are important that we should break down. Okay, first of all, 
at uh, about 2.08 p.m., the sun is going to move into the second decan of Libra. So it'll change the flavor of our Libra sun. So you can see this here. It's about 3 o'clock on my here, but that happens a little bit earlier. All right. Now, the second decan is the double Saturn-ruled face of Libra. And it is represented by the three of hearts, I'm sorry, the three of hearts, the three of swords, which has a heart in it, three of swords in the tarot with, it has a, a heart that is pierced by those three swords with storm, storm clouds behind it. And we, we call this card sorrow or two links of a chain, Austin Coppett calls it. And this is a, a, a portion of the Zodiac where we are coming to terms with, uh, whatever binding contracts that we uh, have signed up for. Sometimes we have to let things go. Sometimes we see people separating and severing connections. Okay, the endings are associated with Saturn. We're also talking about marriage in this particular decade. Okay, we're talking about commitment. So there's, there's two types of, of, you know, bindings really. It's the, the endings and the, and the initiating of the contract. Now, we have, an, I like this, I like two words that I like to think about with the sun. Awareness, like that light bulb moment, okay? Not just ego, not just identity, but awareness, okay? It is light. It is the light of the mind. It is the, the light of the soul informing the body, okay? And vitality. The, the sun is something that provides warmth, that provides growth, that provides, you know, all of these types of, uh, you know, that's what we. That's what, how we promote growth on this particular plane of existence is through the sun's light. So we gain vitality and awareness wherever the sun is. So we're going to gain vitality by uh, having by honoring our commitments. And if we need to renegotiate a commitment, we honor it by either reestablishing it and committing to it, or by letting it go. This, is, this could be maybe a point of conscious uncoupling, right? You honor your commitment to that person, to their sovereignty, by saying, you know what? This isn't an agreement that I want to be a part of anymore. And, in, and that does require some sorrow. That requires some letting go. And that may be part of what we're, we're experiencing too, is there may be bonds that we no longer feel give us vitality and that we need to sever. Okay, and that we need to consolidate and we need to compost. Um, we also are testing the unions. This is a test of our commitments. Not all of them will survive. And we see this echoed with the fixed star Vindemiatrix also, the grape gatherer. And I'm going to show you this in our star chart. Vindemiatrix is, uh, oops. is happening around October the 2nd. Vindemiatrix is part of the constellation Virgo. We talked about her last week, the goddess, uh, Mary of the Bible, caring for the sacred child, Demeter, the goddess of the, of the harvest in Greek mythology. Okay, and Here we have the sun conjoining that fixed star by projected ecliptical degree. And uh, this is called the grape gatherer. It, it was also affectionately known as the Widowmaker. Again, uh, echoing that three of swords, that painful uh, severing of connection 
uh, of contracts broken. Now, there's a couple of different stories with this. I, I believe that the Widowmaker type of experience really is echoed in the story of Ampelos, who was a consort of Dionysus. It was a young boy um, who was a lover of Dionysus. Back in Greek mythology, there was a, a lot of these sort of illicit affairs, I guess. And uh, Ampelos wa wanted, I guess, to, I don't know, had this impetuous youthful quality to, to him that was sort of like Mickey Mouse and the a Sorcerer's Apprentice, where he was learning something, but maybe hadn't quite understood the implications of uh, his, his current skill set versus, you know, let me, how do I say it? His skills weren't matching up with his experience yet. And what he did is he climbed a grapevine that was a little bit too high and reached for something that was a little bit beyond his grasp and he fell and he broke his neck. And uh, this is uh, some of the sorrow that could be associated with this Deccan. Um, this Deccan also is associated with Corvus and the Algarab that we'll talk about later with uh, failure to, to fulfill a divine assignment or a contract, okay? So failure to fulfill the contract that like Apollo gave the, the Corvus a job and he failed to honor that contract. Um, so yeah, I would, I would encourage you with this full moon to not reach beyond, reach for things that are beyond your grasp. You may want to, to try to take authority that is, uh, you know, you, may, you might not be ready for. You may be trying to take on a mantle of responsibility that is just not, you're not ready yet for, and that's okay. Remember, the Saturn-Mars square is asking for patience. Saturn doesn't do anything quickly. Mars wants to get the show on the road. This moon wants to get the show on the road. But we're still working within the limitations of matter and the limitations of the systems that we're working through. Doesn't mean we can't change the system. Just means that changing the system isn't going to happen overnight. Uh, remember, it might take a decade. It may take longer. But it doesn't mean we can't fight for it. It doesn't mean we can't take those steps. But, but try not to get in over your head, I think, is the message of, of the sun on Vindemiatrix. I think we gain vitality and we gain awareness through humility when it comes to having real ex realistic expectation and patience, okay? Humility is where we gain the, the vitality. Libra, Libra suns get humbled quite a bit, I think, because they, they, a lot of the times they will have to work with others to create solar vitality, solar identity, solar awareness. Or they may have this like, almost aversion, okay, this re rejection or revulsion of creating um, individualistic action. They, like they, they want to get approval before taking action or they need to weigh something against someone else's needs because there's an, a, a very strong awareness of someone else's needs. So it's, sometimes it's hard for our Libra Sun friends to take uh, an action that takes their own needs into account because they're constantly weighing how the, their actions are going to affect other people, which isn't a bad thing. We need people in society that weigh their actions against other people. We need people that shine a light of awareness on, on how uh, the laws that we are creating and the agreements and the con contracts that we have are uh, 
working out for not just ourselves, but for other people. If we had a bunch of, if every single person in society was just working within their own self-interest, it wouldn't be a very functional society. It feels like we have that right now on some level, but we need our Libra friends to point out to us that the actions that we're taking may not be equitable for everyone. And they, you know what? They're going to feel ostracized at times. They're going to feel depressed because they see everybody taking these self-centered actions. And that, that, you know what it leads to? It leads to the goddess that mourns. It leads to the goddess that leaves the, the, uh, the, the world of forms because she's so disappointed and disgusted at, at uh, you know, humanity's inability to cooperate with one another. That's a lot of our Libra friends are probably disgusted at the way humanity just treats one another because our Libra sun friends are always taking other people's needs into consideration. When they see other people that don't do that, it's probably really difficult. It's probably really difficult to figure out how to be in a society if you have a Libra sun in that regard. And I, I empathize with you. But recognize that that energy is needed, that you may feel like out of step with your society, but that's okay. Your voice is needed. You've got to embrace Saturn. You've got to embrace Venus when you have a Libra sun. You have to try to create harmony, reflect your reality back to you, and then you have to, to think about uh, how you can patiently create uh, a, a contract that is worth committing to. You know, that's, I think that's the, lot, the job really of that Libra sun and that judgment quality, right? Okay, so that's what we've got going on with, with the sun in the second decan of, of Libra and conjoining the Demiatrix. I'm going to go back for a second to show you that the other really important thing of the day is that Venus is moving into the sign of Virgo right here, into zero degrees Virgo. That happens at about 4.48 in the evening Eastern time. It'll be hosted by uh, Mercury in Scorpio, which it has a sextile relationship to, so positive communication with, with its host, although it will be losing contact and mutual reception with the sun. So this may be a good time for communicating. It might not be the best time for uh, self-directed action, okay? It might not be the best time for awareness, all right, about how we create harmony with one another. Uh, it was called Prudence in the Book of T and the Book of Toth, represented by the Eight of Pentacles, where we see a craftsman. I talked about this with my Jupiter placement, but we've got the Eight of Pentacles, where we have someone who is working very hard trying to craft something. Now, there's some difficulty with the Venus moving into Virgo. We talked about this a little bit in the Planetary Condition Report, but Venus moves into its fall, just like the sun. Where, but it does gain dignity by triplicity. It's the, tr the daytime triplicity ruler of uh, the earth signs, which means that it has some support of its guild or of, it, of its community, of its like friends, okay? Um, so all of the things I said about the sun being in Virgo and feeling out of step with the establishment, I think you can think about this if you have Venus in Virgo as well. You know, you, normally the way that we create harmony is through... Uh, accepting ourselves and accepting others for who and what they are without question. Now, when Venus moves into the sign of Virgo, who is providing resources? Mercury. What does Mercury like to do? Mercury likes to question. Mercury likes to destabilize. Mercury likes to shake things up. Okay? 
So it's difficult for Venus to A, accept themselves and others so that they can receive love and create harmony. So you could think of a Venus Virgo as constantly uh, taking on projects and relationships and love and saying, oh, I'm aware of the flaws in this person. Not, not as aware, not as good as the, um, the things that are, are just great about them. You may have some awareness of it, but it may be a little bit more difficult to access, okay? So, you know, think about, I used an analogy in this in the past of, you know, you're, you're Venus and Virgo and you, your partner's trying to make a meal and they're just kind of in the flow of things. And you're coming in and you're like, uh, are you following the recipe? Are you following the rules? Are you doing it this way? It's kind of like a, you know, having to really follow some kind of preconceived notion of what they need to do and what they need to be. And that breaks them out of the flow of their cooking. And, uh, you know, that can be frustrating at times. Um, Venus, but here's, a, let's, let's flip it on its head for a second because we can see the downside of it. Of a, also, I, I, had a, I had a client that had this position and uh, they came from a family that had high expectations. And this client felt like that they needed to earn love. So I think that with Venus in the first decade of, of Virgo, you may feel like you need to earn someone's love and appreciation rather than just being respected for just who you are. Because remember, Venus functions the best when they just radiate and glow like the jellyfish. You don't have to earn love. Love isn't something that you have to work for. So if we understand that, and we understand that that may be the downside of it, what could be the, um, the, the positive spin that we could put on it outside of the establishment? Well, perhaps you are able to help create harmony by eliminating things that aren't serving our society. And you show us the beauty in craftsmanship. You show us the beauty in removing a branch from a uh, particular tree to create form. There are certain applications where this can be useful. You find catharsis through educating yourself and through reskilling and through working on yourself, okay? That may be the best way to, to use this placement, I would say, is refining yourself, not someone else, you know, because Venus is always reflecting on this and holding the mirror up to somebody else. But what is the craftsman doing? He's working himself alone. So you may be able to like turn this on its head and say, I create beauty in the world by working on myself. And if I accept myself, I may be able to receive the love from another without turning it towards working on someone as a project. Okay. So I think that's the thing that we're, we're looking at here. And also maybe you have very picky taste. You may be thinking about your feelings rather than feeling them, you know, with, with Mercury there instead of, you know, we, we're rationalizing love rather than allowing ourselves to just feel it and experiencing it. Okay. Or also maybe a, 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 an ability or some kind of, kind of conflict that where we're torn between like chastity and wanting to feel the purity of the, the virginal goddess and having some reckless abandon. I think that's one of the, the uh, things about Virgo that people often mistake that they're like these chaste, you know, kind of like virginal beings. Um, I believe, and I'm going to totally butcher this story, but you can check out um, Chutababa's uh, Planets and Profile for this, but he talks about Virgo as they're not just being this, this, this 
chaste virgin person. This was someone, uh, I believe, that was um, uncommitted. Like it, it was like we could think of these as the Vestal virgins too, that were protecting something sacred, but they had like this sacred uh, sexuality too. So there is this, and it's an earth sign. So it's a very earthy sign. So if you think about it in relationship to Demeter, like, you know, she, she was, had these times of mourning where she withdrew her love and affection, but she had these other times where she was giving it very freely and was very fertile where, where we had the seasons of abundance and growth. This may be a danger with Venus in this particular position is you have times where you blow really hot and cold, where you feel very much in, uh, interested in love. And then you have other times where you're withdrawing from your partner to work on yourself or to mourn something or to, to fix something. Um, so keep an eye out for that. One other thing that we'll discuss with this is that Venus is going to be conjoining a very important fixed star called Regulus at zero degrees of Virgo. And Regulus is the, uh, the heart of the lion, okay? This is where we see, I'll zoom out. This is interesting because Venus has, or I'm sorry, Regulus has processed to, here's Venus and here's Regulus, okay? They are conjoined. And this is in the constellation, Leo, which talks about desire, talks about ambition, um, sometimes unchecked or unregulated ambition. But I think it's really interesting that it, we've, we have this procession of this being the tropical sign of Virgo now. So it's almost like we're trying to refine and regulate our ambition. And I, one of the things that's popping into my head is the strength card in the tarot. And in the strength card, we have uh, a lion and a goddess trying to tame that desire. And I think this is maybe what we're going to see with, you know, Leo placements moving forward. You could see it here. So we have the goddess Demeter or the virginal goddess and the lion. Okay. And this is the transition really from this, this energy of uh, reckless, like sort of um, untamed wildness. Okay. Leo was a very wild sign. Okay. Uh, bestial is what they called it. And then Virgo is that beginning of that transition to hum a humane type of existence, to humanity, right? As we, and we see that, that transition really taking form um, in Libra season, where we're considering the implications of our personal desires in relationship to other people. So with Regulus, Regulus used to be thought of this very ambitious sign. It was a royal fixed star of Persia. They called it the Watcher of the North. It was associated with the solstice, uh, in ancient times, it was, it was one of the, I believe it was the marker of the summer solstice, okay? And we had these other watchers. Uh, Fomahalt was the winter solstice in Aquarius. We had Aldebaran was the spring equinox in Taurus. And then we had um, Antares was the fall equinox in Scorpio. The, the, in ancient times, that before the procession happened, we had these fixed points in the sky. They were the fixed signs. And they marked out those equal points of light and those like extremes and those transitions. So Regulus was that ambition, the height of the sun, the height of power, the height of the, the, uh, the, the solar authoritative quality, the kingly quality. So we see this too, like Donald Trump's got a, a, a Regulus position. He's very ambitious. He wants power. 
And the nemesis to avoid with this is over, being overly ambitious, having too high of expectations, or taking revenge. Okay, this is something where we're like a, we're being tested. All of these royal fixed stars, Bernadette Brady says we're we're trying to pass a test. Okay, and Regulus will grant power and honors if you avoid, you know, gossiping about other people. You know, avoiding taking vengeance upon other people, avoiding stepping on other people on your way to the top, okay? You have to rise above pettiness and jelliness, <laughs> jealousy, rise above that pettiness and the jealousy, okay? You may have attraction to power, especially within relationships. You may be, you know, trying to, you want, may be desiring being honored for your craftsmanship now that it is in Virgo, right? Try not to get bent out of shape if you are not receiving all of the respect that you feel that you deserve for the hard work that you're doing. Part of that Virgo nature is humility. And by becoming humble, uh, we will become the royally dignified person where we don't need all of the, the applause. I think that's the transition with Regulus. Regulus placements now, it's like you don't need all the applause to be a king. You need to just do a good job. Okay, that's, that's the royal, that's how you gain royal respect is doing your job properly now, not just like radiating your, your kingliness, okay? Um, Regulus talks about a rise to power and, a, and then followed by a fall from grace. So if you get too fixated on being too perfect and being too like, you know, too many, like trying to eliminate too many flaws, that might be part of the story of Regulus now too is, not trying to refine something to the point where we erase a hole in the paper. I used to do this when I was a kid. You know, I used to draw a lot and I would get so fixated on something that I would, I would erase something, a hole in paper and ruin my creation. Okay, so that is Venus on the fixed star Regulus. If we move forward to Saturday the 3rd, I'm going to move my chart forward. A couple days here, not too much astrology left, so thanks for hanging with me. On Saturday, October the 3rd, the moon moves from Aries into Taurus at 11, 12 a.m., where it gains a whole mess of dignity, exaltation, triplicity. It will eventually be in its own face. Still continuing that full moon phase. The moon will escape the bond at 25 degrees of Aries, where it will immediately square Saturn. So this one, this full moon is going to be a little bit of rough. It's going to be a little rough, where we are... Uh, experiencing the limitations of our relationships and the limitations of our self-directed will and individuation because we're going to have to work within the system that we is already established at least for the time being uh, and that's again we still have that mars saturn relationship we're not it's not done yet we've just kind of gone past one point and now we're going to be moving through that experience until we get to january or we will experience that frustration once again, but from a different perspective. The moon will square Saturn at 1.47 a.m. from 25 Aries to 25 Saturn, echoing the, it's going to activate and echo the, uh, the Mars-Saturn square. And then the moon is going to give us some relief by moving into Taurus at 11.12 a.m. The moon will immediately trine Venus at 1.13 p.m. in Taurus to Air, um, Virgo at one degree of each of those signs. And uh, that's basically our Saturday. So we may have a, you know, a frustrating end of Friday and maybe some restless sleep, 
but the morning is, you know, is going to improve around lunchtime, Eastern time. And we may start to see uh, when the moon escapes the bond, what is necessary for us to do? What, what really are the limits and what really are the contractual obligations that we are part of and that we have to honor and which ones we have to let go of? All right, let's move forward to Sunday and finish this thing up. On Sunday, the 4th, the moon is going to be in Taurus, full moon face. It is going to be opposite uh, Mercury at 6 degrees of Taurus and Scorpio at 1.16 a.m. And then conjoining uh, Uranus. Now, this is going to give us a little preview because one of the aspects that we experience next week is Mercury opposite Uranus. So we may get some, some surprises in our communications that come up. Uh, heading into next week, and we may start to get some inklings of what that might be about with the opposition between uh, Mercury and Uranus that's going to be perfecting on Tuesday the 6th. Um, the big, the big kind of thing that's happening in the sky on Sunday is that Pluto is going to be stationing direct at around 9.32 a.m. at 22 degrees of, of Capricorn. And we've talked at length about the third decan of Capricorn and the four of, of pentacles with the throne and the figure trying to hang on to, to power um, and trying to be to administrate. There's a lot of administration types of qualities with this particular decan. So we may see more exposure of systematic corruption and people trying to maintain power through corrupt means. Um, we may be moving from the death phase of, of Pluto, where we're composting things, to beginning the rebirth phase with the stationing direct. Uh, we may have to discard some of the decaying power structures and start rebuilding the societal infrastructure. Um, you may see more oligarchical power grabs around this time, unfortunately, before we uh, really move out of this particular decan. Um, violent eruptions from the underworld, uh, more consolidation of wealth, unfortunately. Pluto is also associated with the word wealth. Okay, um, You may see abducting, which is a quality of Hades and Pluto, we may see an abduction of power and material wealth. And this is all part of the process. This is all part of the corruption that needs to be exposed before we can compost it and move forward. This is part of America's Pluto return that we're in the middle of right now. And it's going to last for another few years where we're going to have to reconcile how we gained and created wealth on the backs of slaves and how we consolidated it into a very tiny portion of our of our. Uh, society. And that's a reckoning that we will have to face as a country. And that's something that we're all going to have to come to terms with in the years ahead and potentially see some, some violence as far as how we're going to deal with it, unfortunately. Um, hopefully it can be as peaceful as possible, but um, the people in power don't always let go of it very easily. And maybe it may be through, I, I don't know, I don't know how to, I can't, I can't completely resolve all that in one, one um, forecast. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll be dealing with it in the weeks and the months and the years ahead, but uh, let's try not to get too ahead of ourselves. Let's deal with the day and the week that we have here, recognizing that that's on the horizon and taking all the steps and necessary precautions that we can in the moment that we have now. Okay. So that's what I have for this week. Uh, looking ahead to uh, the, 5th through the 11th on the Monday the 5th, the sun will conjoin that fixed star Al-Gharab at 13 degrees of Libra. 
On Tuesday, we'll have the perfection of opposition between Mercury and Uranus at nine degrees of uh, Scorpio and Taurus. Uh, Thursday, Mercury will move into the second decan of Scorpio, and Venus will conjoin the fixed star Thuban, which is the dragon that likes to hoard things. So we'll work on that. And uh, Friday, on the 9th, um, Mars is going to square Pluto. Uh, that will that one will be rough, but we'll we'll get through it. We got we've been through Mars Pluto squares before. Uh, we'll be experiencing the last quarter moon from uh, Cancer to Libra on that day as well, and then we're going to see a trine from Venus to Uranus on Saturday the tenth, and then we'll finish up our week next week on Sunday the eleventh with the Sun squaring Jupiter and Venus moving into the second decan of Virgo. All right, that's what I've got for this week, everybody. Hope that you're all doing well. Make sure you hang in there. If you're enjoying these forecasts, make sure that you hit that subscribe button, like the video, share it with your friends. That always helps with the algorithm. It helps if you make a comment and if you smash that like button. Um, yeah, I've done some updates on my website. I have started doing using a new scheduling app and I have a number of new offerings. I've kind of, you know, gotten more specific about what types of readings I'm offering. I'm doing some offering with some fixed star and some specific Deccan type readings. So check that out on my website. Um, I have, uh, yeah, that's going to help with the scheduling of my, my stuff. If you have any questions, reach out to me to Spencer Michelle astrology at gmail.com. I know that with the scheduling app, I've put some specific availability. I have some regular business hours on Monday and Tuesday. If that is, doesn't necessarily work with your schedule. And I know a lot of my, my, my listeners here that I've had readings with before, they have different hours being in different parts of the world. Send me an email. We'll, we'll figure something out. I'm just putting that out there for the general public. But um, yeah, take a, take a look, check it out, see what you think. And uh, you know, let me know what, what types of things you continue to like to see me offer in the future. And uh, yeah, just hang in there, everyone, like w one day at a time. Um, use your patience, use your grace. Use your Saturnian ability to um, create balance where there is chaos, okay? That's what Saturn, I think one of Saturn's main jobs is to, to be able to, um, you know, reconcile that randomized distribution of fate that we sometimes feel that we're experiencing. That's the part of the maturity. That's part of doing the hard work. So uh, that's what I'm going to go do, and hopefully you can do the same, and if you need any help along the way, I'd... I would be happy to help you guide you through this process. So take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Peace.